0: Good morning and welcome to our Monday morning chapel. You'll find on your little bulletin for this morning our opening prayer, which is taken from select verses of Psalm 102, and we pray those together responsively. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily, for the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen. The scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the Gospel of St. Mark, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Back in 1633, the famous painter, Dutch painter Rembrandt, painted a scene of this very biblical story of Jesus being awakened by the disciples in this boat as you can tell it's in the middle of a great storm and uh... the purpose of that painting a rather large painting was to is to depict uh... jesus divine power over nature and also the the need for us to trust in him that very painting was stolen about thirty years ago next month in a museum in boston two men dressed as police officers broke into the museum where it was hanging on the wall and not only stole it but took it out of the frame. So today still there's a golden frame hanging in that museum empty where this painting of this depiction of this very scene used to hang. Kind of a reminder of what's been lost. That frame has been gutted of this great treasure that was inside of it. The Sea of Galilee is a very unique spot in world geography because of where it sits and the geography around it with large mountains and so on and it's about 70 feet below sea level the uh, the weather often rushes down the side of the mountain and causes these tremendous storms. Uh, it's, It's very common for large storms to develop. It's kind of a perfect geography for these sudden types of storms that we hear about and uh, Lake Superior is sort of similar to that up in up north of Duluth. The disciples are rather seasoned fishermen. These are guys who are used to being out on the water and on the sea and and uh, yet even they are terrified and surprised by all of this. In that painting, Rembrandt tries to depict that fear in their faces. In fact, <clears throat> There's even one gentleman that he depicts hanging over the side of the boat as if he's vomiting from seasickness. I wonder what they might have been talking about just moments before this storm came up. What were the things going on in their minds and hearts? And all of a sudden, how everything could just change so dramatically into this sense of feeling like they had this loss of of security. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you really thought you could die. I've had a few of them in my life, but where you really, really thought you could die, maybe a near-miss car accident, or uh, in my case, I had one where I was actually in a boat with my dad as a child and we were out on a big lake, and it uh, got very stormy and lightning uh, hitting the lake and things, and I remember my dad starting to have a different tone in his voice that that i uh, it made me very fearful as a child. Another time I was on a a jet when suddenly it drops so dramatically two times in the air you could hear people saying prayers on the jet You could hear that they were you could just sense the mood changed it went from people talking and laughing to just quiet and then just this sense of almost panic that comes in it's interesting that the the disciples rush then to the side of Jesus and they they wake him up he's been sleeping he had a hard day he'd been Had been preaching for a long time had conducted some miracles he'd been in a crowd of people and uh, he's a regular human being in the sense that his body gets tired he's laying down sleeping in the boat here we see the human nature of Christ depicted so well and yet at the same time hidden inside of this sleeping carpenter son is the very God himself the very powerful son of God all authority has been given unto him, hidden inside of this human frame. And with just a few words now, he stands up. must have been quite a scene to see. He stands up in this boat. And, and the way a mother speaks to her six-year-old, he talks to the weather. Be still. Be quiet. And how dramatically everything suddenly changes think what a contrast you have here between these mortal frail fearful disciples and the all-powerful son of god Uh, they're cowering in their fear and feeling the sense of mortality and and yet here is the very son of god who with just with just a few words is able to stop a storm on a sea he places all of his divine power inside of his mouth and into his words and just gives a command and everything must obey. But then it's interesting, Jesus then turns to these cowering disciples and he chastises them. He gets after them. Now why would that be? Well, here's why. As we see earlier in the text, he had just said to them, we will cross over to the other side. It very, very clearly told them in his word, by his word, that, that they would be crossing over to the other side of this great lake. And his word had implied that they should have confidence in that happening. But, of course, they were so fearful. So had, had Jesus allowed this storm to come up in order to test the disciples? Had he allowed this storm to come up to, to see if they Would continue to believe and trust in what his word had told them how about for you how about for you in your life are there times in your life when God just might step aside and and let some trouble come into your life with the intense purpose of seeing if you'll trust his word if you and I will have confidence in what he tells us that he will work all things for our good and so on How often Christ gives me his very clear word on things and yet I can let doubts start to rise in my mind whether my sins are really all forgiven and paid for whether whether I'm really going to rise again from the dead someday whether whether there really is a heaven waiting for me that Christ has paid for whether God really is going to work all things for my eternal good Years ago when I was in seminary, one of our professors, uh, President Peterson, used to tell a story about that he was a pastor in Madison, Wisconsin, and in his neighborhood there was a man about his age who was a lawyer and very intelligent man who had been raised in a Christian home, but in adulthood had completely rejected Christianity and decided to just become an atheist. And President Peterson said they used to have conversations a lot and once in a while even go have coffee together. And it always impressed him, he said, how intelligent this man was about Christianity, how much he knew his doctrine and the stories and and details of the Bible. And yet, to be lacking faith. It's kind of like having a gold frame with nothing inside of it. Having had the actual faith and trust and confidence in Christ taken away. Sometimes we can be tempted to think that if we know the details about Christianity, if we know our doctrine well, if we, if we can explain things to other people, that that's the essence of Christianity for us, and that's all good stuff. But at the core of everything is trust and confidence in what our Savior tells us and says to us. The devil likes to come to people like us, who, who even sit in Christian institutions and have been probably raised in the Christian faith, maybe had Christian education coming out of our ears, and to have us kind of rely on the fact that we know so much, but then maybe try to steal the painting out of all of that, and that is to have real trust and confidence in Christ and to place our hope and trust in him. That's the heart and core of the Christian faith, is to have this confidence in Christ and his word. God, think of a parachute. God doesn't simply come to you and and ask you to be able to describe how fantastic a parachute is and how safe it is. He wants you to put it on. He wants you to strap the parachute on. He wants you to have full confidence to leap out with that very thing on of his grace and his forgiveness in Christ, and the hope of everlasting life in heaven. He wants you to trust that Jesus says, to you, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Don't just know about the Christian faith to have confidence in your Savior. And the reason that's so important is because God himself is the one responsible for making that faith happen inside of you. Listen to what Walther says. I love this. What is divine in you, meaning faith in Christ, naturally seeks out and clings to the divine. It desires to please the divine and desires to ultimately reside with the divine. It has divine origins and it has a divine destination. It simply must be with God. Stop doubting, Jesus says to all of us, and believe. Amen. Please rise. And we pray. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Amen.
1: God of your baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless and preserve you. Go in peace. Amen.